Hi, this is comedian Christian Finnegan, and you, my friend, are listening to PF's Tape Recorder. You are listening, aren't you? You don't just kind of have it on the background while you're vacuuming. Hello? Hello? tape recorder coming up todd glass on being out and being honest i bet 30 years ago when that first gay comedian said hey when everybody else was playing with gi joes i was playing with barbie dolls (laughs) that that was probably funny but it's not anymore also we'll hear from mitt romney via the skype and another installment of i thought it was funny but first as always fake news Fake news with me. A Sacramento area robber with a possible Gene Simmons complex is wanted by police in that city. Sacramento police responded to a business robbery January 19th around 8.45 p.m. after a suspect wearing a white clown mask similar to the makeup worn by the Kiss bassist and co-lead vocalist climbed over the counter and fired two shots near a store employee. One worker managed to pull the bandit's mask off before the robber could flee and said the suspect looked a lot like Peter Chris. This week, South Korean activists floated giant balloons carrying boxes of socks into North Korea. The activists hoped Saturday that North Koreans could wear the socks or trade them for food during the harsh winter. Said one North Korean resident, We're hoping next week for some Nikes to stick these socks in, because, you know, they have some over there. Three topless Ukrainian protesters were detained Saturday in Switzerland while trying to break into an invitation-only gathering of international CEOs and political leaders to call attention to the needs of the world's poor. Okay, quick review. If you're topless, you're detained. If you're sitting peacefully during a protest, you get pepper sprayed. Good to know. The best part of the already famous tarmac discussion between Arizona Governor Jan Brewer and President Barack Obama Wednesday is that even though everyone has now seen the picture of Brewer pointing her finger at the president, no one knows what they actually were talking about. That's not because microphones didn't pick up anything, but because Brewer, who was pointing her finger at the president, was taking a long pause before responding to the president. A mix of union members and Occupy protesters from across Indiana marched through Super Bowl Village on Saturday in opposition to the state's proposed right-to-work legislation street fair in downtown Indianapolis and the first of what could be several such protests before the big game on February 5th at Lucas Oil Stadium. The protesters chanted Occupy the Super Bowl and carried signs that read Fight the Lie and Workers United Will Prevail. Authorities handled the situation peacefully, and the NFL only charged protesters $200 to picket inside the Super Bowl village. Most onlookers stared in silence as the protesters walked past them, but some, like Jason Leibowitz of Jamestown, Indiana, were upset about their outing being interrupted. There's a place and a time for this, Leibowitz said. This isn't it. And he's right. You shouldn't have a protest over a labor issue at an event that was almost put in jeopardy by a labor issue. So at midnight, the NFL's owners locked out their players. The NFL season could be in jeopardy for the first time since 1987. That clip, of course, from last summer. Federal judge on Friday sentenced the barefoot bandit Colton Harris Moore to six and a half years in prison for his infamous two-year international crime spree of break-ins and boat and plane thefts that ended in 2010. The 20-year-old earned his nickname because he committed several of the crimes without wearing shoes, and he attracted fans across the globe for his ability to evade police. In a related story, South Korean activists are sending him socks while he is in prison. And that's been Fake News with me.
I saw an article in USA Today this week about Mitt Romney, and it says that if you add up the wealth of the last eight presidents from Richard Nixon to Barack Obama, then double that number, you're not even close to being in Romney territory. Uh, in other words, he would be one of the uh, wealthiest presidents ever in the history of this country, and it's a pretty interesting article. I'll link to it on the Podbean page, of course. And, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I left Skype open again. Darn it. Hello? Uh, hello, BF. This is uh, Governor and soon-to-be President uh, Mitt Romney. How are you? I'm good. BF, uh, I heard you're talking about my wealth just now. Uh, but the podcast hasn't even dropped yet. BF, uh, when you have uh, close to a quarter billion dollars in your mattress, uh, like I do, the, the laws of time and space uh, are easy to manipulate. Okay, if you say so. Now, yes, it is true that uh, if elected, I would be one of the wealthiest presidents ever, but, but what's wrong with that, BF? Well, I'm not sure you're going to be in touch with, uh, you know, with, with the working-class folks you know, like me. Well, I'm a regular guy, P.F. Uh, ask me about the struggles of uh, everyday America. Uh, I'll bet you $1,000 I can relate. You see, right there. Well, oh, wait, well, what did I say? Uh, a lot of middle-class folks like to place a wager now and then, don't they? Uh, don't you folks buy lottery tickets? Well, yes, but not $1,000 worth. Uh, you know, I just think your view might be a bit skewed. But President Obama is pretty well off. Well, yeah, that's true. Uh, the Obamas are worth, uh, what, uh, $7.5 million, I think it is. But you're worth like 250 by some estimates. Oh, that's true. I could buy and sell Barack Obama. <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't say that. What? I could buy and sell New Gingrich, too. Well, okay. I guess I am being a bit presumptuous and being maybe a little liberal sensitive. Darn tootin'. And I hear you could get uh, quite a deal on a newt or used Gingrich. Ha 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 ha. How about that one, P.F.? Well, don't quit your day job, Governor. I don't have one! Now, if you'll excuse me, P.F., I'm going to laugh all the way to the Swiss bank. And I would also add that if doing impressions is your job, you might want to consider another line of work as well. Yeah, fine. Thank you, Governor. a bit a while back that I thought was going to be uh, more of a recurring bit. Uh, it's called I Thought It Was Funny, and it just involves me finding a, an audio clip or a news story uh, that I can have a nice punchline to, but maybe isn't right for fake news, nor is there enough to it to make it a full bit. Uh, and so I was at the uh, cheap theaters with my daughters on Friday, and we finally got around to seeing uh, the new Muppet movie. And I remember as I was watching it, uh, back in December, there was some kind of controversy about this. The Muppets are back and being terrorized by an evil oil executive in their new movie. Liberal Hollywood depicting a successful businessman as evil. That's not new. Joining me now, Dan Gaynor from the Media Research Center. Dan, let's point this out. This oil Muppet, evil man that he is, is called Tex Richman. Yeah, it's amazing how far the left will go just to stoop, to you know, manipulate your kids to convince them, give the anti-corporate message. That clip, of course, from the BBC. Ha! No, I'm kidding. It was Fox News. That's not the I thought it was funny part, by the way, so I guess you're going to get two punchlines out of this. No! Uh, of course, the plot of the Muppet movie is that a rich oil uh, magnate is going to buy the old Muppet Studios and drill for oil underneath, and uh, people a little upset over at Fox News that, you know, uh, uh, just a, a businessman, or just a regular, nice, successful guy is being portrayed as being evil, and oil company executives never do anything bad, they're just the sweetest people. Tonight, it's the CEO of BP under fire. Chief Executive Tony Hayward faces harsh criticism 
for attending a yacht race in England as the oil continues to spew on day 61 of the environmental and economical disaster. I thought it was funny. Seventeen years old. He is now forty-seven years old, and just recently was on Mark Maron's podcast and uh, had some news uh, for the folks in the comedy world and the world in general. Uh, Todd came out, no big deal. He's doing fine, and I think this is maybe only the second interview he's done since then. So here's our interview with Todd Glass. <laughs> Hey, joining us on PS Tape Recorder, it's comedian Todd Glass. Todd, how's it going? I'm doing good. How about you? <laughs> Pretty good. Um, well, uh, when I set up this interview, uh, or when I was planning on interviewing you back a couple weeks ago, I thought we'd be talking about the Todd Glass show, which we will. But then there was this big announcement on the Mark Marin podcast, WTF. And uh, how's things been going since then? You know, it's been going good. It's still an adjustment phase, you know, as I call. I sort of have like, uh, you know coming out hangover <laughs> but uh, it's been overwhelmingly positive you know just uh just good and, and like i said i never felt inwardly bad about who i was yeah but uh, so i didn't think there'd be that weight off my chest that everyone talked about maybe but and i had a pretty big circle of friends that grew uh, every year you know and i'd have parties at my house you know basically over the yeah. years i'd be like oh my god everybody knows here you know what i mean like and in the beginning it was like oh you know like three people know and there's 20 here you know so even though there was that big circle and still it was a big a big weight off my chest as far as you know just you know everybody knowing now and it just uh it just makes life a lot easier and um you know it's better tired of talking about it yet you know what not not really you know i want to be honest it would be cool for me to go yeah i'm so tired of talking about <laughs> it but I still find it, you know, I had a lot of opinions and a lot of things over the years that I wanted to say that I couldn't really say. Well, I mean, I, I, at least I was not one of those Congress people that, uh, to hide their own being, uh, oh, yeah. said homophobic things. Uh, so I just figured, hey, I, you know, my, my friends, all my comedian friends or, you know, uh, that are uh, smart, uh, I don't know one comedian that's not respected in the comedic community that doesn't have uh, very uh, open-minded, uh, clear-cut opinions on this, and they're straight, so I figured just as a straight guy, I express my opinion, but I not really express it because I wasn't being honest about where my uh, where it was coming from. Um, I, and, all, and also, one other thing, just to make it really yeah. clear, you know, I said, I still don't think anybody should do it until they're ready. I will yeah. never, never tell somebody... You got to do this. You got to do this. You can say why it's a good idea, and I know I personally said that I was. It was time for me to do it because I felt like every time one of these kids was, you know, killing themselves, that I felt like I was going to have a little blood on my hands or blood on my shirt, whatever the expression is. Yeah. But that didn't mean that my message to somebody else that isn't ready to do it has blood in their hands. Just my situation. Uh, I felt that about me. Anybody else, hey, I totally respect where someone's at, and that's exactly where they should be. Um, I saw an interview with the uh, the Pet Shop Boys a couple years ago, a documentary. Big fan of the Pet Shop Boys, but it took a while for those those boys to uh, to come out. And they're not with each other, they're with separate people. But um, 
Uh, Neil Tennant, this singer, always said, well, the reason we were reluctant is because we thought that everything would be seen through uh, a gay prism. And were you kind of afraid of that, that that, would, that, that might happen to you, that people would, would see you differently, not in a bad way, but just in a different way and maybe after you know, comedy? Yeah, you know, I did. I did, and I thought I didn't want to be known as, like, you know, all the stereotypical things, but, like, you know, uh, you know, gay being my identity and yeah. everything like that. And there I said the word, okay? Um, somebody, somebody had given me a little uh, ah, grief about how can I help kids come out if I'm not comfortable saying the word. Yeah. But I felt good because this, and I'll get to your thing here, professor, not professors know everything, but I think they have a pretty clean clear way of looking at things uh, had sported me an email that made me feel good. He said, that, that's ridiculous uh, the, you, because you have a hard time saying that word. Look, you've heard that word in a negative, uh, negative uh, way for your entire life. So just because you're ready to admit who you are and admit that that's healthy and it's normal doesn't mean you, ha you have a problem with that word. That's where you're at. And uh, so anyway, <laughs> there's that. But yeah, I, I didn't want to be known as that. But you know what I found out? Like when I told a friend of mine, and, and this has to do also as you're getting older, you know, kid that's 19, 20, 21, he doesn't have to deal with this. But as you get older, people start to uh, be curious. And yeah. not always, you know, curious in a negative way. There's certain people that are curious in a very maybe homophobic way. Other people are the most open-minded people in the world. They're just curious. They would, maybe they want you to be honest about who you are so you're healthier. So, you know, I just realized as I was getting older I told a friend of mine about a week ago, and he was like, oh, my God, him and his girlfriend were like, I, I'm just, and then they heard I was in a relationship. They're like, I'm just happy you're healthy. I thought maybe you weren't dealing with it, and what were you doing, and were you just going to go to your death not being honest with who you were? He goes, now that in one, in one moment I found out you're healthy and you're living a normal lifestyle. So I thought, oh, my God, if that's what people are thinking, I want to tell everybody so they don't think, you know, the opposite, that I'm just not dealing with the truth. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you were on Last Comic Standing, and I hope not in telling tales out of school, but I remember Gary Goldman had said this maybe on comedy and everything else, uh, that the, the one thing you guys really agreed on uh, was the fact that you didn't find Ant very funny. And uh, I, I hope I'm not misquoting, <clears throat> but uh, did you, when, you know, he's, of course, uh, I guess more flamboyant, shall we say. Did, did that have any effect on you, kind of saying, well, you know, maybe people see me like that and, you know, I don't, think that's particularly very funny, or is that just a, a complete non-issue? Well, you know, the thing about it is that it, it, it has nothing, this is really a broader topic of more than just, you know, gay. It has to do with anybody who uh, talks about their, their background. And you, there's two ways you can do it. A, a, a bad, whether it's black or whether it's Jewish or whether it's Latino or a woman or who, you know, wh the way you talk about your life, you can either do it in a very generic way and use jokes that have been in the, you know, uh, up for grabs over the last 30 years, you know, or you can tell an authentic story. It's easier to do the jokes that are out there for the last 30 years. In other words, I bet 30 years ago when that first gay comedian said, hey, when everybody else was uh, playing with, um, you know, um, G.I. Joe's, I was playing with Barbie dolls. <laughs> that, that, that was probably funny. Yeah. But it's not anymore. It's been done. It's like, is that really your story? Because it, it's not my story. When I was younger, I wasn't playing with Barbie dolls. That's not, I not. So it's like when, when Ant does those jokes or anybody does those jokes, like, yeah, when everybody else was, <laughs> I was playing with Barbie dolls. <laughs> really? I bet you have a more unique story that's honest if you would tell your real story. But the problem is that takes a little work. Yeah. So you just go for these generic. And, and, and there's comedians of every uh, group that do that. You know, you can either tell your real personal plight or you can use generic 
you know, shitty jokes that have been done a million times. And so, you know, that's all that I forget your question. No, I do that a lot. But I think you were saying, does that have any effect on me? Yeah. Um, but yeah, just, just that, that's what, what, you know, my problem with any comedian that does that. It's just like, tell your real story, you know, because, you know, there's some other 18 year old kid listening to you doing your comedy and going, well, that's not my story. So what? Don't you have a unique perspective on it as opposed to this, you know, one that be, has been regurgitated forever? Um, the Todd Glass Show. You were threatening to do a podcast last time I spoke to you, and now, now you've gone and done it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I cherry-picked it, to be honest, because I listened to, uh, I saw you had guest uh, Jimmy Dore and Jimmy Pardo uh, separately, of course. So I listened to those two episodes first, obviously. Um, and, boy, I really like it a lot. And it's just when I think there's too many comedians with, with podcasts, which I know is uh, you discussed on one of the podcasts. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I compliment you. Uh, you came up with something original. It's like it, what I like to describe. It, it's an interview, sort of, with the guy you're talking to or the gal. But it's kind of it's uh, it's funny in the moment, I guess. It's 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 you have these like that Rodney Dangerfield bit you played. Um, mm-hmm. For those who don't know, they can go back and listen. We'll have the link on the on the page for to go back to Todd's podcast. But I think it was in the Jimmy Dore episode. You played this uh, thing that Rodney used to send around to his band uh, as instructions. It was fascinating, and you guys had a lot of laughs on it, you know, with Rodney, because uh, not making fun of Rodney, obviously. Right, but exactly. where, where did you find that? That was fascinating. You know, I found it on YouTube. Uh, it was just some weird stuff. I uh. always like finding, like, just weird, like, you know, <laughs> music that's maybe cheesy. I, I love finding, like, old Engelbert Humperdinck clips, <laughs> and just, I don't know why I'm obsessed with that stuff. And then I found that, and I was like, oh, my God, this is classic. And for the people listening that don't know, they, yeah, Rodney, when he toured, would have a band, but that band didn't travel with him. So he probably got tired of every time he had the band, he had to, you know, verbally tell them or his road manager would tell them. So Rodney just made a CD or, or probably a tape back to then and uh, gave it to every band. And to listen to it is just, it's just awesome. It's just vintage Rodney. You know, <laughs> you know when I say f- yeah. You know, you give me a drum roll, all right? <laughs> and then he does, I love how he does the whole intro, because that's basically their job. They do his intro. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Rodney Dangerfield, he comes out. He goes, after that, you'll play me on. Then you can take a 45-minute break. <laughs> like, this is the easiest job in the world. Play him on, take a 45-minute break, and then the last two minutes of the show, you know, you, you fire up again. And then on the, the but I love the yeah. podcast. You know, it's been like like you heard me say. A lot of people have that attitude of like. And by the way, I'm glad I said this before I had a podcast. Yeah. Uh, when people were going, everyone's got a podcast. I go, you know, yeah, that's true. Then everybody's doing stand up. Everybody's doing music. Uh, some people will do it for a week and give it up. Some people will do it for a year. Some people will go on to have uh, all different types of success. You know, I admire. Uh, you know, I, a few people I know, you know, they're not making a fortune off their podcast right now, but, like, I know a guy who moved out here from Florida, Patrick Melton. Like, you know, we had an honest conversation. I don't know if he cares, but, like, yeah, the guy pays, like, his bills off his podcast. That's awesome. Wow. He might not be making $500,000 a year, but, so, like, I think it's, 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 it is like stand-up in the sense that it is, uh, it's a vehicle that I love stand-up, and I will never stop doing stand-up. But this podcast, the fact that I could do whatever I want and just connect with an audience that way, you know, right now, I, am, I really do love it. Yeah, and um, I think uh, Greg Barrett pointed out that uh, he had to be convinced to do his podcast uh, with Dave Anthony, and his partner said, well, you know, uh, you know this is, don't even look at it as like a, a big audience thing, just look at it for your audience, for people that, that like Greg Barrett and don't get to see you in town, you know, 
uh, every week if they were in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, it's, it is funny that a lot of people, and people I respect have that feeling, including me at one point maybe, just going, but then I thought, no, 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 like, again, just repeating it. Imagine if you were getting into stand-up back in the, you know, when you were, I was 17 or so, whatever age somebody is, and they go, I don't know, I don't know if I should do stand-up. So many people do it. Should I start a band? I mean, everyone's got a band. Well, hopefully you think you're unique. Yeah. It doesn't matter if there's 10,000 people that are doing uh, music. Uh, the few unique, the special unique ones will make it, always, now. for the. So it's just a new, uh, it's a new vehicle. And uh, if, if you think you have something to bring to it, you, you know, just like you brought it to stand-up, you know, like, just, you know, you, you can be special. Is it uh, affecting your uh, set in any way? Do you, like, think, think to have something happen on the podcast and go, wow, this might work great on stage, or maybe even vice versa, maybe something that comes up while you're on stage and you, you file that away and think, hey, maybe this would be a silly thing to expand on the podcast? Uh, both. Yeah, both. It's definitely helped me, like, you know, because what, what happens with an audience, sometimes if they're not going your way, you, ha- you look at them. Now, also what's hard about it sometimes is also what's awesome about it, because when you're killing on stage, you'll, like if I have a bit that's three minutes and that crowd, if I'm doing very well with it that night, I'll make it 10 minutes because I feed off of their energy. But it's, and, and that's what's so great about it. Uh, so I don't want to make it sound like I'm putting down stand-up because it is, you know, it, it literally is my favorite thing in the world to do. But also what's great about the podcast is if you're doing something in your, I, I think repetition is very funny to go on and on and on. <laughs> it either flops like crazy when you do, when you go on and on and on. And, uh, you know, or it is infectiously funny. So when you don't have an audience there to worry about and you're just doing it, like me and Rory Scofield, for instance, are sitting across from each other in the studio, and if it's making us laugh, well, I mean, you know, and you know, it's, it, we hope we're connecting with someone else like that, someone that, uh, so that's what's great about it. You can just sort of just commit to this bit you're in. And you know what? I always tell the audience the same thing. There are going to be bits that flop. And even though I hate it, we're sitting in the studio and we feel it. We're like, ah, this just didn't go anywhere. But you know what? The next bit might be so funny it makes someone, you know, want to, you know, be well, at the- their work and just start, you know, cracking up. And if it's somebody you know well, like either of the Jimmys or uh, someone like that, then the fact that the bit's flopping can also be funny in itself because you guys have such a chemistry. Well, I, you know, I hope so, you know, because you know, for me, if, if it, I feel it's flopping, I'm in the moment. Even though some people maybe might go, oh, don't talk. I'm connecting with the people that if the bit's flopping, I feel it. To me, the only thing that could make it not painful is that I'm in the moment. I don't have to, you know, it's like I always say when you go to see a sketch group, it's hard for them because if the bit's not working, well, you might think it's not working, but you're in a, maybe a sketch with six other people. You can't decide to stop a sketch and comment on it. You've got to have follow-through in a sketch group. And I get that, uh, but it's also painful to me. You know, it's like yeah. if, I'm, if I'm in the bit, yeah, I do believe in committing, obviously, but I also believe if your gut instincts is telling you it's flopped, you know, maybe that's how you bond with the audience home. But you, you know, you when you start talking about it, you go, "This isn't going anywhere." And maybe they're sitting in their car going, "I didn't think it was going anywhere either. I was nervous." And now you, maybe you're back. You bond with them. You're back together with them. So, uh, what are you talking about on stage these days? I know you. Uh, last time we spoke, you were kind of uh, had realized, uh, had an epiphany that you could you could be silly one moment, you could be more you know astute the next, and and dry the next moment after that. Is it uh, still a lot like that? Moving in that direction is kind of. Taking it as it comes. Yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah, good good memory. Uh, yeah, same thing. Just you know uh, that uh, you know I don't have to have you know you know one. Uh, as we were saying before that you know when George Carlin had died, I was going through a thing in my career like 
what am I going to do? Like, do am I serious? Or am I, sometimes I feel like I have an issue to talk about on stage. Most of the time, I'm I'm silly. I, I should pick one or the other and go with it, you know. And then I watched George Carlin. Uh, I always watched him, but after he died, I was just watching every single special he did, just to you know, because he was depreciating him at a different level. And I went, oh, I don't have to pick. You just do whatever. You know, we're not we're not one or the other. If you want to be serious, you be serious. If you want to be social, you be social. If you want to be silly, you be silly. And that has you know, I've been doing comedy for so long, but that has really freed me up to go, okay, cool. I can just talk about whatever I want. Cool. Um, well, it sounds like things are going well for you, sir. Yeah, things are going well. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I am, uh, you know, it's all been good, and I'm excited to come to Minneapolis. As you know, I think we've talked about it. It is, you know, uh, one of every comedian's favorite clubs. Yes. It's just uh, they know what they're doing over there, and it they just do. makes for a, a fun week. I love it. I come in a day early, I leave a day late, and I enjoy the whole week. Cool. So, well, all right, sir. Okay. Again, thanks for being on the podcast. You know, the a rising tide lifts all boats here in the podcasting world. So, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much. All right, Todd. Talk to you later. See you later. Right, bye. Thanks again to Todd Glass for being our guest. You can find Todd at ToddGlass.com. Easy enough. The Todd Glass Show can be found in iTunes. Todd will be at the Acme Comedy Club in Minneapolis February 7th through the 11th. Then he will be at the Vancouver Comedy Festival February 15th through 18th. And at the Comedy Works in Denver February 23rd through 25th. I will be at Mugby Sports Cafe on Beachmont Avenue in Cincinnati, Ohio, Tuesday, January 31st at 7.30 for PF Trivia Live. And I'd like to send a shout-out to some fellow podcasters who showed PF's tape recorder some Twitter love this week, and those would be something uncensored. Think of them as your Canadian girlfriends. They're proper filthy. Also, a shout-out to Bad Film Club, Proudly Resents, and a Comedy, a Go-Go. You can find all of those in iTunes, save for something uncensored. I think they're still trying to get into iTunes. But uh, if you go to pfradio.podbean.com, the site that hosts this podcast, as always, you'll find all of the relevant links to today's show. PFD Recorder logo designed by Dan Koble. Follow him at TigerDactyl on Twitter. Don't forget to like us also on Facebook and follow me on Twitter at PF66. Music for PF Tape Recorder composed by John Veropoulos with a little help from me. Uh, performed by John Veropoulos, Doug O'Connor with a tiny bit of help from me. And uh, other than that, so long and thanks for listening. Yeah.